Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, I watched a sci-fi series that almost made my head explode. I'll tell you about the delightfully insane show, Raised by Wolves. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I'll review the fourth season of one of my favorite shows, Netflix's Big Mouth. Plus... I finally watched a movie that I think a lot of us should be watching these days. The Mr. Rogers movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Big news this week for the Canadian-Irish co-produced show Vikings, which debuted in 2013 on History and has gained a pretty large global audience. It's a family saga about the lives and adventures of the Nordic raiders and explorers of the Dark Ages. It is super violent. It has insane battle sequences for a TV show. And it's kind of like a soap opera with all the family drama. I just love it. It has been one of my favorite shows, like consistently in the top 10 of my shows every year since it has debuted. The trailer for the second half of the sixth and final season was unveiled this week. And as I'm watching it, I think to myself, why does it say Prime Video in the bottom right corner? Because this is a history show. And then it immediately flashes across the screen, Prime Video exclusive. So that's the deal. Vikings will first begin streaming on Prime Video on December 30th before it begins airing on history. So that struck me as odd at first because Vikings has been a huge success for history. So how they would allow this to happen which was just beyond me. And the show was history's first ever scripted drama. But turns out they're moving away from scripted returning dramas and will instead just focus on limited series. Now here's the rub. In their press release... Prime Video says the final 10 episodes of the hit drama series Vikings are premiering first on Prime Video in the U.S., U.K., Germany, Austria, and Ireland on December 30th. So I think, where's Canada? Normally, I would just assume Canada is included, right? I mean, when we talk about U.S. box office numbers, we really mean North America. They're just clumping in Canada's numbers because they're so minuscule compared to the American numbers. And often shows that debut in the U.S. also debut in Canada. But they did specifically name all the countries that will be getting the show. Also, because it's debuting on a streaming service, the rights, of course, vary from country to country. Like, for example, if you want to stream... Vikings, like past seasons of Vikings in Canada, you can watch seasons one through three on Netflix. And then for seasons four or five and the first half of season six, you can do so through Prime Video if you subscribe to the Stack TV service through Prime. That's the collection of channels from the Chorus Entertainment family, Global History Showcase, etc. Whereas in the U.S., Vikings is available for streaming on Hulu. Confused? 
clear as mud. So listen, I don't know how this is going to roll out in Canada, which is weird because Chorus Entertainment co-produces Vikings. <laughs> and we work for Chorus Entertainment. <laughs> LOL. It would really suck if Canada gets hosed out of seeing this show first. Uh, hopefully some clarity on this will come soon. I have contacted or sent an email to the people at Prime to get some clarification on that. Or maybe I'm just overblowing this. But I, so far, I cannot find anything that clarifies if Canada is included in this first run starting on December 30th. No date yet, by the way, on when history will begin airing it, i.e., do they have to wait until it's completed its run on Prime, which will be like they have to wait until the end of March when the final episode airs on Prime, or will they start airing it maybe a couple weeks after uh, it begins streaming on Prime? I don't know. Oh, and by the way, the lead character, the original lead character of Vikings, Ragnar Lothbrok. He was played by a guy named Travis Fimmel for four seasons, and he's actually one of the main stars of Raised by Wolves, which I'll be discussing in just a little bit. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I just noticed that uh, if you move the letters around in Ragnar Lothbrok, you can uh, spell Ragnarok. So there you go. Oh, and that's actually, I'm glad. <laughs> it's all I'm gl- connected. I'm glad you pointed that out because that's one of the descriptors for the final season of uh, Vikings. They're describing this as as Ragnarok because it looks oh. like, based on the army that the Vikings have to face in this final season, it looks like it could be the end of the Vikings. But they always find a way. So they are crafty. They are like I said, super violent, and the way that they, the the devices they come up with in which to inflict pain and death, has never ceased to amaze me and horrify me. You, I think, would enjoy Vikings for its story, but the gore that is result, I think, would be way too much for you, Jeff. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Okay, now let's move on to something a little less gory, at least in a violent sort of way. Um, there's still some weird kind of gore in this next show I'm going to talk about. It's the newest season of one of my favorite shows on Netflix. It's season four of the animated sitcom called Big Mouth. Welcome back, b- Boys, I'm your counselor, Harry. I know my accent sounds fancy, but I put my short shorts, black socks, and sandals on just like you. Hey, how's Kim going for you? Absolutely terrible, you. That's a nightmare. Andrew? Nick, I'm Seth Goldberg. Camp you. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. This was my camp. You stole my Seth. Right into the woods. Ow. I'm sorry. Oh, what the hell are you? I'm Tito, the anxiety mosquito. Anxiety is that feeling we get inside that there's danger all around us. I know! He's talking about me! I feel so seen! Seems like everyone's coupling up. I'm gonna lick the breakfast out of your molars. Hope you like only pocket shrimp vindaloo. Shay and Lola are dating now. Looks like everyone is moving on and doing really well without you. Big Mouth is created by comedian Nick Kroll, who voices many of the characters, including the main character, Nick. A lot of uh, Kroll's real-life friends and other comedians are in the show, including John Mulaney, Jesse Klein, Jason Mantzoukas, Jenny Slate, Jordan Peele, Fred Armisen, and Maya Rudolph. It's the fourth season of Big Mouth. I've watched all ten episodes. It comes on Netflix. Well, it's already out. It's on Friday the 4th is when it comes out. I got to watch them all a week ahead of time. And the show follows the the lives of a bunch of junior high kids in suburban New York as they go through puberty. And it's pretty wild. For starters, it's probably the most 
foul-mouthed show I've ever seen. Think of the dirtiest thing you can possibly say, and Big Mouth will probably say worse in any given minute of any given episode. It really is quite something. And they don't shy away from anything. Nothing is off the table. These are junior high kids, after all, and they are going through certainly the strangest period of their lives as their bodies change and their hormones run amok. And that's the genius of the show. It's really never been done before because in the past there simply was no platform in which to be this frank about those things. And it's something every one of us has gone through. While it is an animated sitcom, a lot and a lot of things are you know heightened. A lot of it rings very true as well. There's a lot of humor in exploring how these kids learn some of the truths of growing up, some of the crazy myths they believe that, of course, are not true, and how they make terrible decisions in dealing with all of it. They're helped, of course, with the guidance of their hormone monsters, literal monsters that show up to give them just the worst advice about how to deal with their urges and rage and humility and everything else coursing through their brains and bodies. Maya Rudolph voices one of the hormone monsters by by the way, and steals the show every time. She's so funny. If you like Maya Rudolph, the show is worth it just for her performance alone, her Emmy Award-winning performance, I might add. This season sees the addition of Tito the Anxiety Mosquito, voiced by Maria Bamford, who shows up to buzz around the kids' heads when they're freaking out about something. Like I said, the show takes on everything, sort of like how you know Seinfeld would find all the little cracks in the social contract we live by and explore them. Big Mouth does the same about all the dirty thoughts that run through a 13-year-old's head. While they've done and continue to do plenty about all the puberty and emotional issues. This year, they also really tackle LGBTQ and race issues to a degree they have not before. The biggest headline earlier this year was comedian Jenny Slate, who's on the show announcing that she was going to stop voicing one of the characters. Slate is a white woman, and she's been the voice of Missy, who plays a black girl. Slate said a a black actress should voice the part and that she wouldn't do it anymore. Slate made that announcement in the summer while they were in the middle of making the season, so she still is the voice of Missy for most of season four, and then it switches to an actress, Ayo Edebiri. And that also all happened sort of at the height of the Black Lives Matter protests earlier this year, which everyone assumed was the reason for Slate's decision, and I'm sure it was a part of it, but throughout season four, Little Missy has this ongoing identity crisis about being black because she has a black dad and a white mom, and so the behind the scenes and the actual scenes have this meta connection, and you get the sense that Missy's story had more to do with Slate's decision than anything else. But overall, that's the beautiful thing about Big Mouth. There are specific issues for specific people, but the overall themes of figuring out who you are and how you fit in the world are really universal to all of us, of course. You'll definitely see a lot of stuff in the show that'll have you going, yep, that's exactly what it was like when I was their age. And it's side-splittingly funny to boot. I, I highly recommend it. Again, it's like an X rating in the foul language department. And they have a lot of gross anatomy in the animation, too. Uh, there's, there's full nudity. Don't it's, It just happens all the time. If you can get on board with that, I think you will dig it because it's really funny. And season four of Big Mouth is available now on Netflix. You know, Jeff, I... Uh... I started watching the first season based on your recommendation because you were excited about this show from the jump. And when you gave it a glowing review, I thought, okay, I'm going to check this out. So I started watching it with this uh, girl I was dating at the time. And I think we got five or six episodes in and we quite enjoyed it. And then she she carried on and watching it without me. <laughs> I don't really know. how I can't remember how that came about, but I thought, oh, you already finished the first season and like you started. I think she had started the second season already by that point. So I just sort of threw my arms up in the air and said, well, I'm never going to have time to catch Catch up on this. Um, But based on 
you know, the insight that you've provided here, this, it reminds me that this isn't just a silly show, a silly obscene show. Not that I have a problem with that, but clearly there's a lot more going on here. And I think it, it now bears a second look, especially just the fact that they have a character called Tito the Anxiety Mosquito. Oh, yeah. Uh, makes me want to check <laughs> it out. <laughs> and you probably, if you only saw the first few, you probably didn't see Maya Rudolph because I'm, don't know. She might have been in the first season, but I don't think she was in right at the very beginning of the season. Because I remember, I just I don't remember when it was, but I remember her being added to it, and and it, and she was just so funny. I do remember her. I do, and she do. that's okay, right. So she she popped up a bit later. She was the second monster, I think, yeah. to appear. And when she popped up, that I could tell right away, like, oh, that's Maya Rudolph, and because she's got such a. Such a recognizable and unforgettable voice. She's so oh, talented. Yeah. So indeed, uh, I'll I will have to eventually get back to this. But here's the, here's the thing: we have, as you pointed out, we have access to Netflix programming. And I just realized that Cobra Kai season three, which it's doesn't, there. it's there already. It's in the pro, it's in the preview stuff. So now I have this dilemma: what do I do? Because it doesn't come out until I think. Somewhere in January. Hang on a second. I'm just trying to find the uh, release date for me. For with my memory issues, I would have to wait until I like with this. The, I've had this available for a couple of months, yeah. And I didn't start watching it until last weekend because I was like, I'll never remember it by the time <laughs> if I watch it too soon. Okay. Up next, I want to tell you about just a bonkers science fiction show that's been out for a couple of months already. I never heard of it. I'm glad I now know it. I'll tell you that next. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Last week, one of the guys I work with walks into the studio and simply says, raised by wolves. So I think to myself, what's he talking about? What women usually think the first time I eat? What were you, raised by wolves? Then he tells me, it's a show on Crave, HBO Max. It's about androids and the end of the world, Ridley Scott. So I immediately say, sold. You will raise these children to be atheists. It was belief in the unreal that destroyed the earth. Our enemies built an ark, which is now headed here. The only known planet where humans can survive. And should the Mithraic's Ark ever make it here, you will not listen to their words. They believe that allowing androids to raise human children is a sin. We must rescue our stolen children. So it debuted on HBO Max and Crave in September. I had never heard of it. It's just another example of how there is just too much stuff out there to watch. But indeed, this show comes from Ridley Scott, and he actually directed the first two episodes. So the show is described as follows. Two androids are tasked with raising human children on a mysterious virgin planet. As the burgeoning colony of humans threatens to be torn apart by religious differences, the androids learn that controlling the beliefs of humans is a treacherous and difficult task. So it's set... 100 years into the future or so, and it has definite shades of Alien and Prometheus, big space mystery, that's Ridley Scott's thing. Also, shades of Lost in this, because there are a lot of unanswered questions, and it looks like it could be the land that is controlling it, it could be some other sort of being, I don't really know. It is big, beautiful, and bleak 
in terms of its cinematography. Like I just, I found myself mesmerized over and over again by the backgrounds, by the vistas that they were using to shoot this show. Uh, the first episode starts off kind of slow. I would almost even suggest boring at times, but then it just explodes. The finale of that first episode was so explosive and so surprising. Like it went in a direction I did not expect. Like they really, they ramped it from, from like zero to 11 in the snap of a finger. So I thought that's a good way to kick off the series because they, they took their time with some basic exposition for the first half of the episode and then things went haywire. So they, sort of planted the seeds of what the show is about, and they also let you know that you can expect some maniacal stuff to happen in this series. But it's 10 episodes, and it did not need to be 10 episodes. So I think I'm going to get more into that in a moment. Should also point out before I forget that I mentioned it earlier, Travis Fimmel, he was the main star of Vikings for a few seasons. He's also one of the main stars of Raised by Wolves. So I was super happy to see him come back to see some space Ragnar, but more on what I think about Raised by Wolves and what watching that show led me to watch. Details next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes, and I want to continue now telling you about a show that I watched this week, a deranged science fiction series that is available on Crave. It hails from HBO Max. It's called Raised by Wolves. She's holding them captive. He needs to be with other humans. I thought we were in sync, father. We've increasingly taken to impulses. How many people did you kill on Earth, Mother? You are all my children. I am only here to protect you. So if you're just tuning in, the show debuted in September. It's about two androids who are, they go to another mysterious virgin planet with a handful of kids. It's their goal, their, their job to raise these kids on this new planet. And uh, things go not so well. And the androids are called simply mother and father. So I enjoyed this series, but it's even at 10 episodes, it's way too long. Like this is, they could have gotten this done in six, maybe even five episodes because there were so many points where I found it just dragging along and it was getting repetitive, like really repetitive. And I thought, okay, like what? It's clear that they didn't have enough material for 10 episodes, so they would just make some scenes really long that didn't have to be so long. So that was frustrating. But it is super imaginative. Like the world they've created, the technology they've imagined, the things that one of the androids can do are terrifying and awesome. Uh, like the the way that this android can weaponize itself was like nothing I think I've ever seen in a science fiction. And it made this like almost bordering on horror. That's how scary it was. So I like that. And I also liked that this show really stuck with me. You know, a good science fiction, well, I shouldn't say a good, but like lots of good science fictions will make you question your reality, will make you question things like religion and faith and science itself. And I think that it, this show did a good job at, at kind of taking a harsh look at both religion and science. And as the description points out, the androids learned that controlling the beliefs of humans is a treacherous and difficult task because the earth was destroyed in this war between the Mithraic 
faith and the atheists, but we haven't really learned a ton about what like led them there. Just the fact that earth is basically destroyed because of this massive war that they had. Uh, and the season ends with a monstrous cliffhanger figuratively and literally with questions abound so many questions. And that's why it made me feel like it, it definitely took a page out of lost's book. And uh, as mentioned, nice to see Travis Fimmel again. And he still has the, like he, when he played Ragnar and Vikings, he had these really wild eyes that made him unpredictable and his character was kind of crazy. And he brings that same energy here. So that's good. He's perfect for the role he's playing. And uh, yeah, it wasn't a slam dunk, but it's a cool enough show. And I will be watching season two because it was indeed renewed for a second season. But having said that, Jeff, uh, I would point out, because I mentioned the Lost stuff, yep. uh, so I think you would enjoy that component of it. But there, there, is some, there are some kind of gross things Ew. in this. So it's not like, it's not overtly gross throughout, but when it does get gross, it, it's, it can be kind of like, it made me wince, so I think it would be tough for you. Yeah, that sounds like it might be just a little too much for me. Yeah, uh, but the ending was really, like I said, it was it was a mind-blowing cliffhanger. And the, just the first episode alone, the ending of that episode was one of the craziest sequences I've ever seen on a television show, so I commend them for that. But watching that show, I mean, I enjoyed Raised by Wolves, but it was bleak. I needed a pick-me-up after that, so I turned to a movie that I've been meaning to watch for a year now, and it turned out to be the perfect counter-programming to a dark, bleak, apocalyptic sci-fi. It was this. Hello, neighbor. Mr. Rogers. I'm here to interview you. It is so nice to meet you. I'm profiling Mr. Rogers. Boyd, please don't ruin my childhood. This will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? We are trying to give the world positive ways of dealing with their feelings. A beautiful day in the neighborhood, the Mr. Rogers movie. I know this movie's a year old. Why am I talking about it now? But like I said, I needed a pick-me-up. I needed something uplifting after watching a really dark science fiction show. So what, what could possibly be more uplifting than Mr. Rogers? Now, Jeff, I think... Did you go see this in the movie theater? Oh, yeah. I saw my girlfriend and I saw it first week. Uh, we are both on board with Tom Hanks and with uh, Warm and Fuzzy Movies, and the, it, was a, it was a great movie. We enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, and I, I think actually for it, it turns out that it's still, even though it's a year old, it's super timely because I think it's an important movie to watch right now because we're all frustrated and angry with what's going on in the world, especially heading into Christmas and shopping is going to be a lot harder for many, giving the varying restrictions across the country. And uh, the, so the messages in this about forgiveness and kindness uh, and just the fact that he's so nice, like it's almost unimaginable that one person can be that nice and to have such a, a profound effect like there's a scene on the subway where these kids start singing or teenagers i guess starts th singing his theme song and then everybody on the subway car is singing this song and it was perfect to have this story told through a cynical journalist who was played by uh, what's his name the guy from the americans uh, Matthew Reese. Yeah. So he plays this cynical journalist and he's looking around the subway car, just completely baffled 
by what he's seeing. But I think it was perfect to tell the story through his eyes because he didn't believe that Mr. Rogers could be that nice. He even says, well, we'll see if he's everything that he's cracked up to be. Like he was going to try to find the story behind the story, find the dirt on Mr. Rogers. But yeah, it just, it was so touching to watch this. I think Tom Hanks's performance was wonderful. And uh, I think it was just a, it was a good movie to watch. It was a good reminder that, yeah, it can be difficult to be kind sometimes, but also not really. And once you uh, let kindness in, um, I just think it was a valuable lesson, valuable movie to watch at this time. And really, like, it's hard to imagine a single person, at least up to a certain age, it's hard to imagine a single person in North America who doesn't know who Mr. Rogers is or who doesn't like Mr. Rogers. So if you've never seen A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, highly recommended. I would give it... I actually didn't think about a rating. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. (laughs) So I think I'll give it four couch cushions out of five. There you go. That sounds good. I think that's exactly what I gave it. Do you want to know a fun fact about this movie, Brett? Yes. The director, Muriel Heller, do you know where you know her from? No. She played the mom that likes to have a few drinks on the Queen's Gambit. Oh, really? Yep. That's the director of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, she was tremendous in the Queen's Gambit. I would also point out as well that uh, I wanted to then follow watching this movie with the documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor. I watched that earlier this year or I think I guess I watched it last year. Not on Netflix anymore. It's not there. It's not available on any streaming service. You can rent it for 5 bucks, but if you've never seen that, that's worth the $5. It's it is an excellent documentary. So that'd be a good movie and documentary to watch back to back on Mr. Rogers, especially if you need need something to boost your spirits right now. What better way to lift those spirits than with Mr. Rogers. In a moment, we're going from Mr. Rogers to gangsters. <laughs> You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And to wrap up the show this week, a couple of gangster items. The finale of Fargo's fourth season aired last weekend, and I have a few thoughts. You want this wall over? Get your house in order and we can talk. Oh, jeez, my heart. We had a deal. Hasn't it been enough killing? You kill your father so you can wear the crown. Fargo. I mentioned earlier in the season that season four of Fargo was a disappointment. And while a couple of subsequent episodes were pretty good, nothing really happened in the final stretch to change my mind. I think I did figure out, though, the main reason why this season didn't do it for me to the degree that other seasons of the show have. Usually a Fargo season and the movie, of course, that inspired the show centers around two things. One of them is a character who, in a moment of weakness or stupidity or both, turns to the criminal world to solve a problem. A regular Joe turns to a life of crime. That character then gets put through the ringer trying to undo what they've done trying to keep their neck above water trying to erase whatever atrocities they've been party to to no avail it's william h macy in the movie it's martin freeman kirsten dunce and ewan mcgregor in the earlier seasons of the show and the other thing is noble law enforcement francis mcdormand's oscar-winning turn as chief marge gunderson in the movie allison tolman patrick wilson ted danson and carrie coon in the tv season so season four 
not so much. Pretty much the opposite. The main cop in the this season was corrupt and cowardly, and the bad guys were all gang members. Yes, some were dumb, but not in the way we're used to. But all of them were raised as criminals and had the street smarts in those ways. So not the same kind of criminals we're used to seeing in Fargo. A massive shift from the heart and soul of previous seasons. Now, I'm not trying to say it has to be the same thing over and over and over again, but they really did trade down this season, taking a much more interesting and original formula and swapping it out for something we've seen so many times before. Now, the final stretch was probably a little better than the early stretch, especially there was a black and white episode that featured two characters trying to run away from the rest of the story. That was really cool. And the finale was sort of fitting, at least as a means of tying things up. It did, though, shine a spotlight on some of the weaker plot lines we saw, like the homicidal nurse, and even the main character, quote-unquote, of the season, young Ethel Rita Smutney, who really didn't do anything. There were some good Coen Brother Easter eggs the last couple of weeks, um, especially the tornado that pops up in one episode, and I'm always a sucker for a character's story arc that suddenly ends without warning because they accidentally shoot themselves. That happened to somebody, I'll say. Um, overall, though, the season easily finishes fourth of the four seasons they've done so far better luck next time hopefully they can get Fargo back on track because the first few seasons were really really terrific um so that's Fargo and I'm going to move to another gangster thing here Brett every trilogy as we know has its weak spot and one is looking for redemption this week Francis Ford Coppola has re-edited The Godfather Part 3 and named it The Godfather Coda The Death of Michael Corleone We've sold the casinos. We have no interest in anything illegitimate. The church owns the large corporation. Worth six billion dollars. Don Corleone, this deal can make you one of the richest men in the world. Friends, our business together is done. Partners, they're unhappy. They think you abandoned them. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. When they come, they'll come at what you love. The Francis Ford Coppola quote at the beginning of the trailer for this re-edited Godfather Part 3 is, it provides an entirely new experience. I created a new beginning and ending. The picture has been given new life. The Godfather Part 3 has spent the last 30 years being spit on by everyone for committing the cardinal sin of not being the Godfather Parts 1 or 2. Now... Those, of course, are two of the finest films ever made, almost impossible to live up to. I've had a DVD box set for about 20 years and watched the first two many times, and until this spring, I think I'd only seen the third one once, so I did give it another go in March, and I quite enjoyed it. The Corleone family had changed a lot in the 16 years since part two, so it was always going to have a different vibe, I think. But yeah, it's not as good as the first two. Most movies aren't. Part three is still a good movie. It was nominated for several Oscars, including Best Picture, Al Pacino's terrific in it. The main complaint is the performance of 
Sophia Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. And I can see that too, but I think even that's overblown for the most part. Of course, it didn't help that Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas came out just a couple of months before Godfather Part 3 came out. Uh, it made the new Godfather movie kind of feel like an old relic because the, the Godfella, Goodfellas is punk rock and the Godfather movies is uh, classical music, you know. Now, Francis Ford Coppola is trying to get some redemption for Part 3, like I said. If you don't remember, as I hadn't, this movie finds Pacino's Michael Corleone in his 60s. He's trying to make the family business legitimate. This involves him getting into business with the Vatican. All that is easier said than done, though, because uh, the old gangster ways, you know, like he says there, it's just just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Um, and we also have his nephew in this one, played by Andy Garcia, being groomed to take over the family. And Joe Montagna is a rival mob boss. All that good stuff is still in there. So this re-edit apparently does make the movie a little better. It provides some clarity to the Vatican storyline, which seems like a good idea because I remember never really having a grasp on that. And I've read that it shapes Michael Corleone's character a little more near the end as well. Coppola added some previously deleted scenes. He lengthened some scenes. He changed the order around, cut some stuff out. He was working with all the materials that he already had. It's not like they shot new stuff. Um, I'm excited to to get put my eyes on it at some point i don't think i know that third movie well enough though to really know oh this is changed from that and that's changed from this and that sort of thing but i i do intend to give it a shot at some point i looked at the pre-order price on amazon it was only like 17 bucks so it doesn't it's not going to cost you a lot the godfather coda the death of michael corleone available on blu-ray this Tuesday, Brett. All right. I just got to quickly give you an update on Vikings because you mentioned that Prime Video will start streaming it on December 30th, but they were very specific in saying the U.S., the U.K., Germany, Australia, and Ireland, which kind of sucks Canada's not included in that because it's a Canadian co-produced show. So I reached out to Prime and asked, "Is what's the word for Canada? And they say, yes, this will be just for the outlets listed in the release. We don't have info for Canada on this title just yet, but I can keep you posted if this changes. So so we'll just have to watch out and see what happens with uh, when the second half of the sixth and final season of Vikings makes its debut later in, on December 30th. Hopefully Canada will be included in that somehow. And if not, hopefully we won't have to wait too long to watch that. And then this actually was just coming across our newswire here, Jeff, uh, in the most seismic shift by a Hollywood studio yet during the pandemic, Warner Brothers Pictures announced that all of its 2021 film slate, including a new Matrix movie, Godzilla vs. Kong, and more, will stream on HBO Max the same time they play in theaters. So that is a big change. Maybe we'll discuss it a little bit more next week, but we are out of time. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you're listening to this on the radio because you can get access to the show a little bit sooner. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.